You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Um, the series that we're concluding this week, it's been fun for me. I, I'm not going to speak for you because I don't want to presume, but it's been good for me to go through our values. We've called it DNA. We're looking at some of the things that we would say make up who we are at the village or what we hope to make up. And we've looked at these different values. If you have missed any of those, you're curious, go check the website, um, villagechurchbaltimore.com, and you can see all of our sermons archived there, which you can catch up or you can re-listen to them. But as we've gone through, we're, we're ending this Sunday by looking at this final value, equipping for mission. Uh, an appropriate one as we think about the call Jesus has given those of us who would find ourselves in him. What does it mean to be equipped for mission? And I'm just going to go right into it. And I want to put this out for your consideration. When we think about what does mission mean, I'm sure all of us have different ideas. Uh, I'm going to put this thought, and this is not all encompassing, but for today, this idea that mission is not just what we do. But mission is also who we are. Mission is not just what we do, but mission is also who we are. That we want to press today into this idea, so who am I then? Well, what does it mean for me to be found in Jesus? What does it mean for me to experience transformation in Christ and then be equipped on this idea of mission as we unpack it a little bit? So a good question for the Christian to ask is, who am I? What well, what is a Christian? And maybe even in a room like this, we've got a lot of different um, ideas or answers. What we how will we define what's a Christian? We're going to look into some passages that um, unpack it a bit. So, starting in Ephesians chapter two, let me read from verse eight. It says, "For by grace," and this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing here. "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship." Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, I remember when I was a younger dude. Um, I was a younger dude, and I was in some places where I was trying to grow to more be more like Jesus. And um, I, I started memorizing verses, and I had like a ring of like cards like this thick, where I'd memorize like two a week and really try to press into learning as, and memorizing as much scripture. If I would encourage you, if you've never tried that before, make it a practice, just tremendous way to meditate upon the word of God. But I started memorizing and this is a long time ago and my memory is getting worse. But if I can remember correctly, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, if not the number one, it was like top three of the verses, like right there. One of the first key verses, passages I memorized. I think it was number one. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, just a wonderful declaration of the Christian faith for those of us who would confess Jesus and, and walk in a church and we're celebrating 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year. Some of you are like, well, 500? Um, yeah, I mean, this idea, what does it mean to be known in Jesus by God? This tremendous passage that kind of contains some of those things. And as we look at this description in verse 8 there, it says, for by grace you have been saved. And, and the most elementary idea of a Christian is uh, a Christian is someone who has been saved. And, and for some of you, you like, you might even recoil a little bit that language because you're like, oh, that sounds so like fundamentalist, like tent meeting, like you must be saved. No, you, you know, you might get those kind of things that, but I mean, it's in the scriptures, this idea. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to experience salvation. 
It means to be saved. It means to know that we were all, every single one of us, no matter what family you're from, no matter where you were born, no matter what religious background you have, no matter your skin tone, no matter your gender, no matter how much money you got, no matter what, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, the one commonality is we all start separated from God. That's not meant to be harsh. It's actually all-encompassing. That's every single one of us. No matter how good your mommy was and your daddy was and reading about, you were still born separated from God. That's our nature. We're born in the sin nature. We're called enemies of God. We're separated from Him. Not because of anything we did, but that's just what, what we inherited in our, in our soul. But what's described here is this beautiful thing called salvation. That you have been saved. It it says it's by grace. By grace alone. This idea that you couldn't purchase it. You couldn't make it happen. It's freedom. Because it's by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ. Jesus is the one who's done it. Jesus is the one who does saving here. Again, as it says in verse 9 here. Not a result of your works so that anyone can boast. No one can point to God and say, Oh God, you did a really good job there, but you needed my help, right? Like you really pulled most of it, but I gave you a spot there. None of that, right? We were all like, okay, I can't do this. And God saved us through Christ. That's salvation. Life that's come from death. And, and if we understand that that's what salvation is, that that's ultimately what we talk about here, wanting to experience new life in Jesus, not through any work of our own, but through what God has done, it should then lead us to ask, why have I been gifted this salvation? Why have I been given this wonderful gift of what I deserve is death, but now Jesus has given me life. I mean, I, I, it's very clear here. I didn't purchase it. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't put some into account to kind of help it out. It's purely by God's power alone. So why have I been gifted to salvation? Because we need to be clear. Salvation was never intended to be kind of like the final step. Like we get saved. And if you talk to some Christians, it almost feels like that's the final thing, right? You just need to get saved and then we're done. Like, oh, now oh, we're all good now. I got saved. I, I, I said a prayer at that tent meeting where I filled out a card saying I want to be saved. I'm good. It's like hell insurance, right? I'm good. I paid my premiums. Oh, I mean, Jesus paid my premiums, and now I'm, I'm good forever. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think that's what's described here. And, and this is sometimes where we have to be careful. Again, I love memorizing scripture. I love re- memorizing Bible verses. But sometimes we have to be careful of just memorizing isolated memory verses or Bible verses and pulling verses out of their larger context. Because you usually hear Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. Those go together, like peanut butter and jelly. They're always together, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and that one's known. That one's preached. That one's confessed. And it should be. It's truth of God. It's gospel. It's good news. But, but we have to recognize verse 10 is meant to be read along with those two verses as well. Along with the whole passage, obviously. But if we want to understand God's bigger picture of who he's designed us to be, we need to understand verses 8 and 9, but also verse 10. And maybe the way we can understand how 10 works together, because it talks about we're created by God. His plan was to create us for good works. We are his workmanship. Some of you like to work with your hands. I'm envious of you, and God's working in my flesh. I'm envious of you. But you understand what it means to create something, and you're proud of it. That's what it says. God, we are his workmanship when we're found in Christ. And maybe we can understand how verses 8 through 10 work together, is when we talk about salvation, it's a completed action. It's happened. Jesus has done it, and in faith we receive salvation. So it's a completed action, but it also has a present effect. 
So salvation is a completed action, but it has a present effect. It means something happened. Jesus did something, and we now get to also live it out in this present age, in this time, today. Uh, And maybe another way to explain it, that the present effect is evidence that true salvation has occurred in someone's life. That if we say there is salvation that's occurred, that we understand it was God's gift alone, I believe Jesus did it, I believe he, Christ alone, he did it, and I received it. If we've received the salvation in the present effect, then we will see change. We will see evidence. And that's what verse 10 is addressing here. So what's this present effect in our lives? What, what are some of those good works that Christ has saved us for? I mean, there's a lot. And maybe we can, someday we can do a whole series on different ways. But just I want to look at one here. And that, uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. It says, this is also written by Paul. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul is telling the world here through this passage, through this church, here is what it means to be saved. Here is what it means to be saved. He talks about being reconciled to God. He talks about the fact that through Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. That though we had a ledger of all these things that should have counted us against God, because of what Jesus did, he raised our ledger, and instead he's given us a clean bill. He said, you're all good. You're forgiven, not by what you did, but by what I did. And now you can stand before God. Now you can be reconciled. Where at once you were enemies, where at once you were in enmity, now you can be one. Now you are joined back together the way you were intended to be. Where you used to be, once rebel against your father, now daddy's brought you home through good big brother Jesus. And he's made you right with God. And, and Paul's saying here, that's true. And, and he's saying, you want to know how it's true? Look at my life. He doesn't mention himself specifically here, but he does it in other passages. But often, the reason Paul says this is all true is, it happened to me too. It happened in my life. Because you needed to know who I was, guys. I was out there hunting Christians. I was out there, and I was so zealous, but I was so blinded, I didn't realize I was zealous in the wrong way. And I thought I was fighting for truth, but it was actually for evil. And I was persecuting Christians, and I was horrible, and I was an enemy of God. But God, in his mercy, stopped me, and he gave me life where I deserved death. And now he's given me the opportunity to share that message with you. And I think in the same way for all of us here, when it talks about us uh, being reconciled to God, that we are people, if you've been reconciled, it means that you used to have your trespasses. It's a fancy word for sin. Count against you. But now, Jesus, through his death, through his sacrifice, through the shedding of his blood, he's forgiven you when you believe in him, when you trust in him. He's made you right with God through his work. And maybe you can think then of even your own life. And you can even think of your own life and the way that reconciliation has taken place. For me, and maybe not, it's, all of our stories are not the same. For me, what it looks like is I, I used to be a very hateful, angry, violent person. I used to be out there fighting with people. I used to be, uh, I was racist. I was misogynistic. I was, I was uh, dark in my inclinations. I didn't even apologize for it. But then Christ, in his mercy, stopped me. He forgave my sin. He cleansed my heart. He told me, that's not who you are anymore. You're actually a new creation. 
Live in that, son. Live in that, boy. Live in that. That is your reality now. Where you used to crave very carnal things. Where your desires used to be with things that would make most of the people in here blush. Now your desires are actually changed for good. Now you want to be part of reconciliation. Now we used to hate people of a certain skin tone and used to hate people because of what they were about. Now you actually love them. And now you're actually going to pray for them. And you're not just faking it till you're making it. You actually feel that. Like God actually changes our desires. He actually transforms our, our wants. And that's what a, being an ambassador is here. And we all understand ambassadors to another country. You're there to represent our country, right? Say you're an ambassador to a foreign nation and you're from the U.S. You are representing the U.S. to that nation. So there should be a very high bar on who ambassadors are, right? We don't want to send like our biggest scrubs over to say, because everyone in that country is going to look at that person and say, that's America? America? That's, that's it, really? The person who's like violent in their tone and like arrogant and like smelly and nasty, that's America? No, we want to send our best because they're representing this nation. In the same way, when we go as ambassadors of Christ, you represent the king. You represent God. You represent him. You represent him. To a world separated from God, our transformed lives are God's message that you can know God and have your life transformed. To a world that is at war with God, your life, when it's transformed, is God's way of showing people that there is hope to have your life transformed and made different, just like each one of us. And that, guys, that's what we're really talking about here when we're talking about equipping for mission. When we're talking about mission here, obviously it involves some things we do. You know, like going on a mission trip or getting involved in some projects, some activities. That's mission. But I, I, I want to ultimately, when we talk about mission at our church, our focus is on who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? That's also mission for us. Not just activity, but the ones who are doing the activity. Because your transformed life, as much as the things you might do that represent Christ, your life transformed in and of itself is the most effective way for God to reveal his word to a world who doesn't know who he is. Your life transformed. Your life, even in your brokenness, even in the ways you feel you stumble day after day, but get up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you for your promises that your grace is new every morning, your kindness is new every morning. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on a person like me. That's evidence to this world that God is real and that God's in transforming power. You're an ambassador of this king and his message. If you're in Christ, that means you rep God. You represent God, and that communicates this message. Um, so the message is good. Here, here's one I want to take a little bit. The message is good, but I think sometimes there's something missing in translation. And, and I, this, is a, it's, this illustration falls short, but it helped for me to understand a little bit. But I, I have to go shopping every once in a while, and I have to go maybe shopping for like technical things, like something's wrong with my computer or something's wrong in things in the house. Um, I might look like uh, Inspector Gadget to you, but I have no clue how to fix anything, right? So I go to the stores and I try to put on the face like I understand what they're telling me. Like your doohickey is not connected right with the Zim double. And you know, and all of a sudden I'm like. And I remember this one incident. They were explaining it to me, really using really good language. And I just said, I don't have a single idea what you just said. 
And I think they got confused because they did that thing sometimes we do with foreign people in the U.S. where they just said the same exact thing but just slower and louder. Like, your problem. And I'm like, no, 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 I understand English. I just don't know what you said. Like, I don't understand the actual words you're saying here. That's not, I don't, I, I understand English. I don't, but I don't understand the content of what you're talking about. And I think the challenge with many modern expressions of Christianity is that we have a great message. Amen? It's good news. It hasn't changed in thousands of years. It's still good news. Wonderful news. Great news. Tremendous news. But I'm not sure how effective we are at translation in the culture we live in. Like, the message is good. But the way people are receiving it is like, ah, that might have worked with the Puritans, but I'm not sure right now. And I want to show a little video here because it's a really, really, really short video. So catch it because it's only playing once. Really short, but I think it has a powerful message with it. Facebook's so bad sometimes because you just want to like have a dry day and it just gets you all emotional, right? (laughs) If you didn't catch that little little child at at the happiest place on earth, Disney, and talking with Mickey and Minnie, and Mickey and Minnie are obviously trying to communicate, but the child is deaf. So it doesn't matter how much they do, but. Uh, the parent behind was signing for them ways to explain. And did, you saw it, right? When Mickey and Minnie started signing these different things, that kids just lit up and experienced what every other kid experienced at Disney. It ran into their arms because that, that child was able to understand a really good message in a way that, that meant something, in a way that could be understood. And, and I think, it, again, it, it falls short just like any illustration would. But we have to be mindful. No matter how great a message is to share, it doesn't mean anything if it can't be translated in a way that people can get and understand. And we have got a much, I mean, I love Mickey and Minnie, but our message is much better than them. This is not just a hug from some scary animal, Right? This is like the living God saying, I want a relationship with you. I love you. I will literally have my son go to the ends of the earth and give up his life and have his blood shed, have his body torn up so that you can be made right. You can be brought to the king as you were meant to be. And that's, that's like the best message. That's one that I will stake my life on. But our challenge is in our culture We can preach it the way we've always done, but if people aren't in a place to understand it for whatever reasons, we need to ask ourselves, not that we're losing the core of the message, but do we need to ask, how are we presenting this message? That's so good. That's so good. We we essentially, we need to learn the language. We need to learn language. And learning language, for some of you who are like language kind of people, you realize it it requires immersion, right? Immersion is how you learn a language really well. Um, I'm I'm Korean-American. I was born in America. I was born in a time when if you were an immigrant from Korea, 
A lot of people my age don't know how to sing, speak a single word of Korean because back then there was the fear you're going to fall behind in school. And you know, for, for Korean American, that, that rules, right? You're going to fall behind in school. Okay, you're not learning any, any Korean. You're going to learn all English. So I, I didn't know much Korean, right? Um, now, I'm not great, but I know a little bit more. You know how? I went to college. I was that weird kid that all I did was hang out with Korean people. I got immersed. I got immersed. I got immersed into Korean dramas. I was doing Korean hip-hop songs. I, could do, I might not understand every word, but I was doing it. I was learning how to dance like a Korean. I was learning how to talk Korean. I was having a deeper appreciation of Korean food because I got fully immersed. And I went to Korean school as a kid, but it don't matter how much technical like little letters you learn until you're immersed in a culture, you're not going to fully grasp what it is. And in the same way, when we talk about um, the language of the gospel, there's got to be a certain immersion. There's got to be a certain cultivation of our fluency. Uh, there's a pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt. Um, if you're in- interested, I would encourage you to look on it. just uh, shares a lot of great things. But he wrote this book called Gospel Fluency. I really appreciate his ideas of being fluent in the gospel and the good news, where he talks about fluency in the gospel. It requires this same kind of immersion into a gospel-speaking culture. Just like if you would want to learn a foreign language, you immerse yourself into that culture in the same way. If we want to learn the gospel language, we've got to immerse ourselves in gospel-speaking culture, like we're trying to do here. So for us, when we talk about equipping you for mission, guys, it's training you to be fluent in the life-saving message of Christ. That, that's what equipping for mission for us looks like. It's trying to immerse you into what does it mean to learn, to li- see your life, uh, talk your language, view everything through the language of Christ, through the message of Christ. It's helping you to know God. It's helping you to know yourself, and it's helping you to know others. We've got this little... Um, illustration that we often use in our church to kind of explain how we express ourselves in transformation. And we got these ideas of robust orthodoxy that what's really important in a church, one aspect is we got to know what we believe. We got to know the technical stuff. This is why we do things like Pathways Equip. This is why we do things like Bible study and prayer. We've got to learn some language. We've got to learn some of the technical things because you can't talk until you learn some technical stuff. You can't drive and go for like a, a scenic drive if you don't know how to use your brakes and you don't know turns. You got to learn some basics. And we believe that our beliefs, our doctrine are critical to that. But here's the challenge. I think some of us, we learn really good doctrine and we think, okay, I'm equipped now to share the gospel. I'm equipped now to be um, uh, on mission. But what Vanderstelt and what we would also suggest is that we need to learn to be immersed within compassionate community. We need to learn, and it's going to require a paradigm shift for some of us. Some of you think of community groups, small groups, whatever you call Bible studies, you think of it as uh, kind of a side thing, and basically it's for Christians to go and just kind of hold their hands with each other, and, you know, I don't need that, or I don't need Bible study. I can learn it on my own. There's so many computer resources. The way we view at our church community groups, this is probably along with Sundays and other things, this is where you get immersed in gospel-speaking culture. This is where you should be in groups and the things you're talking about are helping you to learn how to process. How does the gospel relate? So here, here's an example. I'm, if I tell you, you need to go out and you need to share the gospel with your friends, I'm not saying take a little Jesus book and just read it cover to cover to them. And that's what, maybe for some of you, what I'm saying is learn how to speak the language of the gospel in a way that speaks to your world as well. 
So within your groups, you should be studying the Bible. You should be talking with one another so that you can start to learn, hey, you know what, man, this week I had a real rough week in in work. Man, I'm struggling because work just feels like a whole bunch of pressure. I feel like it just takes and takes and takes from me. And in your groups, if you've got a good, solid gospel group, they're like, praise God. Let that be an opportunity for you to confess that you're maybe worshiping your work. Maybe maybe you've put too much emphasis on what you do and you're letting that define you. You need to repent and remember that Jesus doesn't just call you a number. Jesus doesn't just call you a quota. Jesus doesn't just grade you by how much you produce, but Jesus loves you in spite of who you are. Oh yeah, thanks for reminding me. That's what gospel truth is. I'm not ruled by my work. My, my, My name is not defined by my GPA at the end. I'm a child of God. I've been freed from those things. I can actually now do my best with joy because those things, I'm not looking to them to define me. I'm not looking to them to give me significance. I'm actually freed from that. So then being equipped for mission is you're going to your classmates, you're going to people you work with, and they're sharing with you, man, I'm so miserable. Our boss stinks. Man, the pressure I'm living under. Man, you know what? This job is killing me. I go home, I'm miserable. And maybe instead of, have you heard about the news that Jesus loves you? Maybe you don't go right to there, but you go, yeah, you know what? Me too. (sighs) Work is hard. Man, don't you feel like our culture just worships what you do? Man, I'm just learning so much peace in the midst of all that. What? And, and you know, be like a fisherman. Don't just throw it out there. It's Jesus. I mean, just throw it. Be like a fisherman. Let, let a little line out. Oh, yeah, man. I was so wiped out on Friday. And, you know, you're coming back to work on Monday. Man, I was so wiped out this weekend. What, what did you do? Oh, man. It was just amazing. I just felt so refreshed again. I was reminded of, of, of why I'm here. What did you do? Oh, man. And, and you just start to introduce what does it mean that Jesus impacts the way you view life? Maybe in your groups you talk about the challenge some of you have in marriage. And I, I don't know if we're allowed to talk like that. Marriage is hard sometimes, right? I think if you're not married, sometimes the idea is, man, if I just got married, everything would be so much easier. And every married person is like, ah. not, not that they don't love their spouse. I mean, they love their spouse dearly, but it's hard. It exposes deep things within your soul. It exposes every sin you didn't even know you had capability of sinning. But you, you, in your groups, you talk about, man, it's just so hard. I feel like I'm so selfish. I didn't realize I was just self-centered. I didn't realize that, man, my needs always come first. And it's really causing a challenge in our marriage relationship. And then your group says, praise God, right? Praise God that Jesus reminds us who the real groom and the real bride is. Let's repent together. Let's receive his good news. Let's be reminded that as good as a marriage is, that does not define you either. And that you don't have to worship it and look to it to provide everything you've always been looking for. But that's only in God. And then you can actually be that husband or wife you want to be. So you, you allow the gospel to seep into these real life things. And you go back to work. And in a world we live in, in a culture we live in, where what do, what do men do? This might be a shock to some of you. A lot of men aren't happy to be married when they've been married for a little bit. And then they complain, oh man, my wife, she is honeydew list like every day. Like all this stuff for me to do. I work my behind off. And then comes home and it's just more work. And she expects me to, she is such a drag man. I can't wait to go out with the boys. But in a culture like that, people start dogging on their wife. You're like, man. And don't be Ned Flanders, right? But it's like, oh, 
I adore my wife. Maybe you don't use the word adore. Maybe that's a little too Flanders-ish, right? But you talk about, actually, you know, marriage is kind of hard. It's actually really hard. But we found certain ways that, that, that we're starting to experience some growth there. And man, it didn't happen naturally. I mean, you should have seen our marriage. We were at each other's throats. How'd that happen? You start to talk about the gospel in these different ways. You guys see what I'm starting to get to? We need our communities to walk together that we start to not just do Bible study as a technical exercise, but we start to ask, how does all of life start to view differently when we are in Christ? How does all of life, how does every narrative we have in our life, how does this start to get impacted differently when we're in Christ? How does it change the way we view um, views on sex, money, power? How does it change all of that? And we do that in community, where we take some of those aspects of our orthodoxy, but we bring it into our community, and as you see, it works together on mission. The most natural mission, we say intentional, but the most natural mission is when we're just starting to learn how to view all of life. I love, I don't know if you know Pastor Dr. Tony Evans. I love Dr. Evans. You know, formed it for me in my younger years as a preacher. And I love one thing he said where he would put a game out to people. He's like, you give me anything and I can show you how the gospel. You should give me this carpet and I can show you how the gospel is about the carpet. And he would just do that with everything. We need to learn how do we take everything in life and start to say, this is how Christ has transformed it. So even in our culture right now, where, you know, we talk about racism all the time. We talk about, well, we just need to, lean to, need to learn to love one another. We need to stop fighting about things like kneeling and standing and national anthems and, you know, cops. And we, we need to just stop that. Um, you know what the gospel says? We actually can't stop it on our own. The gospel actually says, you want change there? You need to know the God that reconciles. You need to know, actually, y'all are going to keep pressing more into your position. And you need to die to yourself. Because Christ has died for us. And we surrender to one another. And rather than pointing fingers at other political parties, or rather than um, accusing people who might think differently, we start to say, well, where is God revealing my sin? How might I submit while also speaking for truth? How might I fight for reconciliation? Because I'm, I'm God, you're showing me this is not going to happen because I want to be a good person. It's going to require power beyond me. So cultural things we can bring under the lens of the gospel. Guys, this is why we do what we do. We want to equip you for mission. We want to equip you to become fluent in all the different things that you're involved in. We want to help you to be recognizing the unique ways that you are in the places you are. There are no accidents with God. You might think you chose the city. You might think you chose your profession. You might think you chose your school. You might think you chose your friends. In some ways, yeah, you did, but God is at work in your life, and he has put you exactly where you are, sometimes to your angst, right? But he's put you there to be his ambassador, to be his representative. And for some of you, I know you're up at nights shaking your head. You're like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Maybe God has placed you there. And maybe you need to come back to seeing your perspective on life, not just on fulfilling your dream, but maybe the reason God would have you be there, to be his ambassador, to be ambassador of reconciliation, because our God is not random. Our goal at the church is we equip for you, you for mission. Simply, we just go back to some of the message of Jesus and we point you right to himself. Like Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Simple verse, one of my favorite. And Jesus said to them, he's talking to some fishermen here. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We can't divorce ourselves from the idea that being a Christian is also pointing one another to this Jesus. 
It's being a fisher of men. He's using language for fishermen. Jesus is doing it, right? He's getting culturally uh, aware there. He's talking to fishermen in language they understand. He's saying, I want to tr- you're going to become fishers of men. I can't help but think of an old, old, old friend. You know, I've been doing ministry for a little while. This one guy got connected with, and this guy was a personal trainer, like a sports trainer, buff, huge muscles. They, all he did was work out, lift. Um, and he just... I got connected with him. This guy had absolutely no background in Jesus at all. This is like many, many years ago. No background in Jesus. And it was rare that I, he didn't know what the Bible was. Like it was to that point. So I just started meeting up with him. But to meet up with him, I started to go get on his ground. He's like, I was like, hey, let's get together. He's like, you want to come to the gym? I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> Can we meet like a McDonald's or something? He's like, no, no, come to the gym. Let's work out together. I'm like, you serious? He's like, yeah, you tell me about Jesus. I'm going to show you how to lift weights. I'm like, seriously? So I would go. And it would be amazing how God's using that, like, you know, translating. And I would try to find, because I can't use really like churchy language. I'm trying to find language he understands. So I, I start talking about things. You know, you need to be in like a church. You need to be in a community because you, you can only accomplish a certain amount on your own. He's like, you mean like, that's why you need to join a gym? Because you can't do certain things on your own. You need other people. Like, yeah, exactly. You got it. And, and you know, different things like that. It was amazing. I remember because after a, a few years of that, just talking with him, he, he, he decided to follow Christ. He submitted his life to Jesus, started walking with him. And many, many years later, here, here's, the, here's the kicker. I got a letter from him through email. And it was, like, it was a missions letter saying he's going on missions. And he wanted some support. He wanted prayer. And he, he had a note. I'm, I, I still remember those conversations we used to have. The crazy old days, huh? And, and it reminds me over and over again um, the power that God will use as we just reach out to those around us on mission. Not with like holy, like high language sometimes, but sometimes just loving people right where they're at. And, and here's the thing. Um, as I share that story, I don't know if any of you are like this. I do this when I listen to guest speakers sometimes at other conferences. They always have the most amazing messages. Like, they have these crazy stories like, oh, yeah, you know, I was taking a flight. It was just a short two-hour flight. But in that time, I got to witness and share my faith with the flight attendant and two people sitting next to me, a person behind me, a person in front of me. And they all decided to follow Jesus. It was amazing. Praise God. And I'm just like, oh, I could never do that. Are you serious? Because I know sometimes these stories can feel like, oh, well, maybe you can do that. But what I'm saying here is if it feels like pressure, um, our, our theology needs to be consistent here. Because the same truths that apply to your salvation that we talked back in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that's by grace alone, it's, it's by faith through Christ, it's the same exact thing when we talk about those people that you would love. I'm not telling you. Sometimes we get this weird thing where when it comes to our lives, we're like, oh, I couldn't do a single thing. And it was only by Jesus' mercy. And I couldn't add a single thing. But Jesus came and he rescued. But then now when it's time to have other people follow Jesus, we're like, oh, what do I need to do to make this happen? Oh, we need to get some really creative PowerPoints. And, you know, we need the music to be right. And we need all of these things to fall in place together. Man, I need the right language. Give me the right cards. Give me the right words. And, you know, all those things are important. But we got to remember the same thing that saved you is the same thing that will save anyone. Amen? Our theology needs to be consistent. So in the same way, for it is by grace they will be saved. Through faith. 
and this not of yourselves so that you can boast. Same theology that will save you will save those around us as well. In our job, I hope that gives you freedom. Because sometimes when it comes to living on mission, I feel, like a, I feel like a, I can't do anything. But my theology gives me assurance that it's ultimately not me doing the saving, right? That's a lot of freedom there. What does God call me to do then? Stay in my lane. And usually that's said in a bad way. You know, people usually try to shut you down. Stay in your lane. I'm saying in a redemptive way. Let's redeem it through the gospel, right? Stay in your lane. What I mean by that is, you know, sometimes we get paralyzed thinking, I need to change the world. Oh, Jesus, if you changed us, I need to change the world. And you go to these conferences and they're really trying to do a good job. But they inspire, your little life can transform this whole generation of souls. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but I can be attentive to the people in front of me. The lane God has given me, maybe I can be attentive to those who he's put in front of me. Maybe I'm not going to reach all of Hamden, but I got two neighbors on both sides. And, and, and maybe being on mission is just being intentional with those God has put in our place. I'm not saying be, be lazy and don't like intentionally go beyond those things as well. But, but maybe we can just start with those right around us. Maybe instead of saving all of Baltimore, I just start with people right next to my cubicle and just start having lunch with them, talk with them, sharing life with them. We can stay in our lane and consider who Jesus is. I love Matthew 4.19. We see it there, right? Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men. Sometimes we forget the first part of there. Follow me. How does all this happen? When we follow Jesus more and more. And this has been, I think, uh, a defining rule in my life. And I, sometimes I forget because I depend on myself too much and God leads me to repentance. But he reminds me, ultimately, the best way that people around me are going to get impacted is the closer I get to Jesus. And an old coach reminded me of this principle that sometimes when you got a light... The closer you get to the light, I don't think it's going to work here. The closer you get to that light, the bigger your shadow gets, right? Having little kids, we love working with shadows. My kids are fascinated with shadows. And it's funny how the closer you get to this intense light, the bigger and bigger your shadow gets. The farther away, the smaller and smaller your shadow gets. For us, we believe our light is Christ. And when you get close and closer and closer, look at that shadow behind you. The imprint of Jesus gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The people around you will get affected and impacted. And that's why we do all these things at our church. It's not to keep you busy. It's not to keep you, it, this is not meant to just be Christian daycare. It's to help you grow closer to Jesus. So let me ask you to stand with me right now. Before we do anything else, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head with me for a moment. I'm going to ask you to think about Jesus. I'm going to ask who's Jesus in your life. And I'm, I'm going to, I want to really invite you to listen to me carefully here. Some of us, we're trying to do Christian things, but we're really not following Jesus. That sounds ridiculous. But how close are you? What kind of shadow are you casting? If you know Jesus, can I invite you to consider who he is? And not just think about the people you need to reach, but pray that God would draw you closer and closer to Jesus through these different things he's given you. But here's what I also want to put out for some of you. 
Some of you, I want to give you an invitation to receive this salvation in Christ. And I'm, I'm going to say it this way. I want to be crystal clear. Some of you, you've been church your whole life. Your, your family confesses Jesus. You've been doing even Christian activity. But I'm going to suggest, is there a real Jesus in your life? Is there a shadow being cast from your walk with Christ? Because the most dangerous thing, and this is something I'm up till we, whenever this church goes, however long, I am never going to assume just because someone grew up in church that they know Christ in an intimate way. If you do not, I'm going to invite you, confess your sin today, say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me my sin. I I don't want to just say that I'm a Christian because that's culturally what my family did. I'm recognizing today, I don't think I know Jesus. I'm living by my power. If that's you, and maybe it feels embarrassing, but can you be freed of that? Sometimes it can feel embarrassing to be in a place where people have known you for years and have to admit, actually, I don't know if I know this Jesus. But that's freedom. Die to yourself so that Jesus can give you life. Receive him today. Come to the table today and say, I I know this Jesus who died for me, who gave up his body, shed his blood, and I want to receive that now and have my sins forgiven. If that's you, I would love to talk with you, pray with you. Our pastors would love to do that. Receive Jesus in this place. And again, if you already are a Christian, I want to invite you, draw into the light, draw closer to Christ, let your shadow loom large. Go to groups, not because that's what good Christians do, but because you need to talk through, get fluent in this language. Go to things like Equip so you can get fluent in this language. Be a mission so we can be fluent in speaking hope to a dark, broken world. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. We don't want to be a church that exists for ourselves. Lord, we want to be a church that exists for you. And help us to know that existing for you means loving those around us, being your good workmanship. So help us to do that. So I pray, Lord, for all of us here. But Lord, I, I particularly, Holy Spirit, right now, I pray for those who maybe you're opening their eyes and they're recognizing, and maybe it's a small steps, that, Lord, you invite them to more than just coming to a religious meeting. You want to transform their life. And that comes with acknowledging we need a savior. We need to be saved. So save them in this place, Lord. Help them to respond to that message in faith, in Christ. And thank you, you're doing that in our midst, Lord. So we invite you to do that. Help us, Lord. Help us. So pray. Maybe pray with those around you for one another. And whenever you're ready, as you sing, as you pray, you can come up also receive the communion. Take a piece of the wafer, dip it right there in the cup. And remember the sacrificial good news that Jesus brings us.